Welcome to the Sales Prospector Show, supported by Lease A Sales Rep, an Inc. 5000 company helping our clients grow sales by securing guaranteed appointments, qualified leads, and guaranteed contracts for their services and products across the U.S. I'm your host, Gil Pagan. You can find us at leaseasalesrep.com, and we are on all social media channels as LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. I have the opportunity to interview today Charlie Wyman from charliewyman.com. That's Wyman, W-H-Y-M-A-N.com, like Wyman.com. Charlie is a B2B LinkedIn specialist using LinkedIn as a biz dev tool. Um, Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Glad you could be with us. We get a lot of, of questions uh, and just in, in online and email and in, and in circles that I run in are Charlie regarding using LinkedIn as a, you know, a B2B prospecting strategy, right? Because obviously uh, our organization, we're in the sales business and we're in marketing, we're doing prospecting. So we mm-hmm. get these questions um, a lot and we also use LinkedIn for prospecting as well. Uh, to identify people, decision makers, industry verticals, companies by size of revenue. We, you know, we're, that's that's the platform you need to be on if you're doing B2B sales. Uh, so uh, one of the things that, you know, caught my attention about you, uh, Charlie, is that in your, you know, I guess your in your presentation, um, one of the things you say is that if you want to make your business become more visible, stand out above the competition and attract more of your ideal clients and leverage the power of LinkedIn to do it, then let's talk. So that's what we're doing. We're talking. <laughs> we're going to talk today about using B2B, using LinkedIn as a B2B prospecting strategy. So Charlie, um, tell us uh, how you started uh, getting involved in, uh, in you know, LinkedIn and uh, your business and tell us how before, what, what were you doing before this and how you landed um, in this kind of industry? Uh, so we'll keep it B2B because that is your, your audience. Um, so actually I studied engineering uh, many years ago and um, decided very quickly that I didn't want to be an engineer. Um, I love engineering, I love technology, but I didn't want to be an engineer. Mm. I was always very fascinated by human behavior um, and uh, also actually being able to get the right sort of technology in front of the right people. Um, so I, I had a very kind of like interesting, uh, start to my career, which landed me, um, it wasn't really an interview. It was more of a chat, really. Um, a woman that managed a project I was, um, responsible for overseeing the grant funding for told me, uh, to go and talk to her husband because I was wasted at the company I was working for at the time and I should go and work for her husband. <laughs> and That company, it was a small company at the time, there was 18 people, um, and they were a systems integrator, so an engineering company that integrated laser scanning technology um, to uh, produce uh, surveying equipment for the mining industry, uh, surveying, engineering, um, highways, rail, you name it. Um, If if you can map it, we did it. (laughs) Oh, that's great. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think when I joined that company, I, to be honest, had no idea what laser scanning was, let alone what 
the surveying industry um, had to offer either. So I joined that company as a marketing assistant, um, mm -hmm. despite having very limited experience um, in marketing. And um, I, I was responsible for the events and trade shows that we did around the world. So I, um, I, I traveled all around and because I'm a very naturally curious person, my approach to marketing was to talk to the customers and talk to the people that were interested in that technology. And over a very short period of time, people kept coming to me with all of their sales questions. And I was like, okay, so I don't know the answer to that question, but I, I made it my mission to find out. Mm -hmm. But then because there was this great platform called LinkedIn, and I saw it as a huge opportunity because as you know, from a sales point of view, if you go and meet somebody on the other side of the world at an exhibition, and they're only mildly interested in what it is that you're doing, you kind of have to wait another year before you're going to see them again. And for me, I was like, this is a, this is a really ineffective sales strategy. <laughs> you know, you've got to wait all of this time. So I, LinkedIn was available and I kind of just started using it to keep in touch with the people that I met at these events and any question that they had to do with the technology I answered those questions through content on LinkedIn. So hang on so you you went into the trade show kind of environment and went into attending some of these shows right so you were actually at a booth right so oh, now yeah, I right so yeah so a buyer myself I come up to the booth talk to you for a bit and then didn't buy, I suppose, right? Yeah. Then you wanted to stay in contact with me throughout mm -hmm. the course of the year, and you decided, and you found LinkedIn was a good strategy for that, and you wanna, then you were saying you started building content, I guess, and either were you putting the content on LinkedIn and then connecting with them on LinkedIn as a connection? Yeah. Okay, go yeah, ahead. So, so anybody I met at the trade show, um, because I was interested in, in the companies that they worked for uh, or the companies that they had, and I found the fact that they were interested in what we were doing interesting. I was like, well, I, I want to keep in touch with these people. I want to find out what they're doing. And because uh, we were selling very high-end equipment where the sales cycle could be anywhere between 12 and 36 months long. How much was the equipment? Give me do a dollar value. Uh, so dollar value, about $500,000. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, for a sort of basic system, like hundred thousand dollars, but generally, you know, sort of five hundred thousand dollars. Big ticket item. It's a big ticket item. Yeah. Big ticket. Yeah. So the sales cycle was really long, and what I found was going to these trade shows that everybody kept asking the same questions. Hmm. Everybody kept having the same frustrations, the same challenges, and I kept saying to the technical team, who were all they were all engineers, they were all involved in the development, uh, the software development as well, and the responses to those questions was always very technical. But the people that we were selling to weren't necessarily interested in the real deep technical nature of the products. They were interested in the higher level benefits of how it would help them with their business, how it would help keep their staff safer, um, you know, and, and all of these other things. So I, I think because I was in marketing and I was like, right, how do we try and get people more engaged with what it is that we're selling? And also, how do we try to make people understand that even though we're a smaller company, the customer service aspect of it was so valuable and we really excelled at that. Mm. So I think without realizing it, I ended up developing a personal brand of becoming very well known in an industry. Um, and also I ended up adopting content marketing 
strategy using LinkedIn that then attracted people to the company. And, you know, when I joined, I think there were 18 people there. When I left, there were 42. And the reputation of that company matched one of our biggest competitors where their marketing budget was about three times the size of our overall revenue. Mm. So, you know, it's, I think at, at that point I realized how powerful a platform it was to really raise your, um, raise your profile in an industry and to become the trusted authority um, in what it is that you're doing. And then I just kind of like um, replicated that process over and over again, kind of refined it, added different things and, kind of made it my own a little bit um and then when I, I I then got a job as a head of marketing for um a group of companies that served the global shipping industry again it was just a case of I trained the sales team in that company on how to use LinkedIn from a prospecting and an inbound side of things as well mm, okay so interesting so you um you learned to develop content that would address issues with this particular audience mm -hmm. pull them in um uh and make you kind of the subject matter expert i suppose in that space uh and then you started sharing that with other marketing people in the company and and, and the like and that kind of got you into this b2b kind of linkedin kind of strategy development kind of I guess role. Uh, no, I wasn't. I wasn't sharing it with other marketing people. Uh, I went. Oh. I went straight to the decision makers. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I thought I, well, you shared something about the people coming to you in the company. Maybe I misunderstood. Um, uh, no, no. So the people coming to me were um, people like genuinely interested in the product. So other companies. Okay. Uh, so surveyors, survey managers, uh, surveying company owners. The prospects. Prospects, exactly. Right. Um, and it was, it was quite interesting because my uh, boss at the time, he came up to me and he said, you know, Charlie, you're like the best salesperson in the company. Uh, <laughs> we need you to do more selling. And I think at that point, I had this huge mis, uh, misconception in my head about what was a, a salesperson. Uh -huh. um, you know, I, I grew up, my dad had a, a car dealership and service station and it was that kind of very stereotypical car salesman um so that's what I thought all salespeople were like uh, I was like I don't want to be that um mm. and then I think I, I realized that selling was all about developing relationships uh, really understanding more about the customers and helping them achieve their goals uh, which played exactly into how I like to do things so yeah yeah, yeah. and uh, just for the audience that um Charlie is actually in the UK in the United Kingdom and she's actually a Brit um so uh, uh, I guess sitting out of um uh near in Not Nottingham uh and uh what she just was talking about her dad had a car dealership that's in the UK I suppose right yeah okay okay uh, and uh it's interesting that the um the the, the sales um, perceptions overseas um, is a lot different than the perceptions in the U.S. And the how you close business overseas is a lot different than in the U.S. And mm -hmm. um, quite frankly, just put into a, a real simple statement, moves really slow in certain parts overseas, moves really quick here in the U.S., so, uh, you know, um, depending upon what, where you are, what, what country and, you know, and the like, uh, it's very, it's very uh, interesting. So you're, you, um, you learn how to do this. 
um, and you know how to, I guess, prospect in the sense of developing content strategies and getting people to, you know, follow through after you've met with them at a booth, kind of you, you answering questions through content, and then that somehow, I'm assuming, led to more inbound, I guess, conversations, warmer leads, as we would call them, uh, and then in theory, an easier sale, right? Um, oh, for sure. I think that's that. that, that that is the key thing about LinkedIn is that, you know, when you're advertising things on your website, if you're running adverts on industry websites and magazines, uh, you'll always attract lots of cold leads. Uh, people just want a price for your system or what it is that they, what it is that you're doing. Very like tire kickers and people just wanting a quick response and they're not genuinely interested in what it is that you're doing. Whereas it's very apparent that on LinkedIn, when you get a lead from LinkedIn, they're warm. They're pre-qualified in most cases. And if you're looking at shortening that sales cycle, the more effort and the more time you spend on LinkedIn, uh-huh. the shorter your sales cycle is going to be and the more qualified leads that you'll have in your pipeline. Uh, and I think because I was managing a sales and a marketing team, um, because I went from marketing assistant to the global head of sales and marketing within a three-year period, um, it was, and I was managing a team of technical, <laughs> technical engineers and PhD researchers who were also responsible for selling. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't want to go out prospecting. Mm-hmm. You know, that was not their, their interest. So we had to kind of come up with more of a, a way to generate those inbound inquiries because we were, you know, from a, a sales point of view, we were out on the road all the time. We were doing demonstrations, we were out at events. We didn't have time to be on the phone ringing people all the time. So it was that kind of like, I, because I was responsible for both the sales and the marketing, I was able to kind of blend the two and make the two work very well together, um, which I think is a big disconnect for a lot of B2B companies when sales and marketing don't talk to one another. Yeah, it's the biggest, uh, one of the biggest internal arguments for years. Uh, marketing generates the lead, gets the, you know, the, the by w- whatever means necessary, you know, SEO, uh, LinkedIn, email campaigns, you know, radio, TV, wherever they're doing the lead, direct mail, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Then it comes to us, our salespeople, and we say, this lead is garbage. You know, you don't, you know, you don't give me good leads. You give me a good lead, I'll close it, okay? You know, you're not, <laughs> marketing's not doing their job. So marketing, director of marketing, you got to go, right? Um, and, uh, so there's always this kind of tug and pull between marketing and 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 sales, and I, I'm always uh, and my team is always instructing people who don't know the difference. Marketing generates the lead, salespeople close the business. Okay, so mm-hmm. you know, um, um, and a lot of marketing is technical in the sense of you know metric, a lot of metrics, and and depending upon what where you're doing your marketing, um, but marketing people are really not interacting with nobody. <laughs> you know, they're, if, if they're not if they're not speaking to people, meaning just the outbound stuff to get the people to come in. I know. Well, I think this this is the biggest problem and the biggest disconnect, especially like I keep talking about, especially in B two B. I mean, like your audience is B two B, but um, that you need to talk to your customers, and mm-hmm. you can't market effectively unless you're talking to your customers, unless you get that feedback. Um, because what I found is that, especially. Um, like in technical B2B uh, markets is that a lot of the marketing kind of comes from the technical team. That's very like what I'd call jargon. 
mm-hmm. and would appeal to a certain type of person. Whereas unless you're actually going out and talking to the end users and the people who are actually going to make those buying decisions, they have a very different language in which they talk to everything. Um, and excuse me, I'm so sorry about this. I did silence everything. <laughs> Laptop going crazy. Um, yeah, they, they, do, they just don't talk to the customers. I mean, a prime example of this was that, um, so in the, in the UK, about six or seven years ago, um, there was an opportunity uh, that came from the Department for Transport to inject, um, you know, sort of, let's say, American dollars, about $5 million mm-hmm. worth of funding to the UK police forces to equip them with this laser scanning technology. Now, the end users didn't want this technology because they didn't know how to use it they saw it as a threat um they didn't want to have to learn something new and and like a whole load of objections as to why they didn't want it but they had to make a decision Uh as to which system they bought because they had to buy one system and i'm quite a competitive person and i was like right so we have a specific pot of money here we're up against really one main competitor with a huge marketing budget so we need to really go and find out how to reach these people mm-hmm. and in the laser scanning world like lidar is the kind of common terminology that you use mm-hmm. the police didn't understand lidar so if you talk to them about lidar and about how many million points per second that they were putting out and you know the accuracy on the floor they were no interest in that whatsoever nobody cares nobody nobody cares <laughs> When you start talking to them in terms of laser scanning and um, the speed in which they can survey a, a scene, um, the, the fact that they don't have to be sort of taking small photographs of everything on the road in the rain, they can get back to their families quicker if they've been called out to a scene at the end of the shift. You know, it's all very emotionally driven. Mm-hmm. But again, you can only find these things out by actually talking to the people that you're trying to sell to. And, you know, I think, what was it? The, there were 32 systems sold in total, and we won 26 of those 32. Mm-hmm. And this is from a really small company versus a huge multinational, you know, a company with massive marketing budget. So, and I think it's, it is that disconnect. Like, you know, if you, and, and listen as well, because, you know, these, these police uh, men and women were talking on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. They were on LinkedIn. So you can wow. listen to the questions that people are asking. You can see and reach them in a different way. Wow. That's very interesting. Uh, these people were on LinkedIn. Um, the, uh, talk a, a little bit about um, tactics. Okay. Um, a lot of um, you know, people always want to know about specific tactics. So um, on the link, uh, um, let's say prospecting on LinkedIn, so if, if you are targeting a particular decision maker or vertical on LinkedIn, technology, software, healthcare, whatever, whatever the electric, electrical manufacturing, you know, obviously it's going to be different. Well, maybe, maybe the approach will be consistent. Maybe the, mm-hmm. the way, what you say may be different, obviously. But mm-hmm. so take us through, let's say um, we want to reach out to, let's say, my vertical and I'm a, I'm, I'm a company, I'm selling um, some, kind of com- some kind of a software into the electrical manufacturing industries, measurement tools, things like that. Um, and I want to use LinkedIn as a, um, a platform to get to some of these uh, product managers, purchasing managers, uh, COOs, whoever's making a decision. Who am I? Who, well, once I know who that is, but um, what would be the strategy 
and as an example to get to those people using LinkedIn. So the, the first thing, the first thing is understand who who it is. So if it's a COO, mm-hmm. then you don't just want to be searching for people with COO in their job title. You also want to be searching for people that use it as a full full you know, chief operating officer, mm-hmm. um, and also understand any other abbreviations that they might use. Um, the other thing to do is that the LinkedIn profile is the font of so much information. And what I see a lot of people do when they're prospecting on LinkedIn is that they just go straight to the job title, straight to connect, straight to send a message um, and go in that way without actually understanding who the person is behind the profile. Mm-hmm. Now, in some industries, um, you know, the individual might not be very active on LinkedIn. So they may have a very basic profile, but they don't use it. Um, there is a different strategy that you can use for each. But when you do have somebody that has um, a profile full of information, you can understand, um, A, if they have, if you have any mutual connections in common. Because if you can get somebody to make an introduction, that trust barrier Mm-hmm. It's already it's already been reduced a little bit. So actually asking somebody to give you that introduction is really helpful. The other thing as well is that if you have a mutual connection in common, you can use it as a conversation starter and just say, you know, sort of say, oh, I met, you know, Bob um, in the US at this at Spa 3D last year. How do you know Bob? Um, and it's that I think the key thing with prospecting, especially in B2B, is that a lot of people go straight in with the pitch. Mm-hmm. And people don't want to be pitched to. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's that kind of like try to find some information on the profile, whether it's a mutual connection, whether it's a, a previous experience, it's a school they used to go to, a college, a university, whatever. Mm-hmm. But just try and find some information to start that conversation. So okay. the time invested is worthwhile because your conversion rate will then be much greater. So you have, okay, so you say, so Bill introduces me to Joe. And because we have a mutual connection, he's in my industry that I'm trying to reach out to. It's a COO of an electrical manufacturing company. I have this software product. What happens next? Um, yeah, so once, you, once you've got that introduction, then it's a case of um, finding out, you know, if, like, it depends on what you're selling. If you're selling something that needs a demonstration or you're selling something that you need to show them specifically, kind of want to either get them on a call or you want to arrange a meeting, then, you know, I've always found that in my experience, if there's an upcoming event or conference, you can arrange to meet them at that conference because they're probably already going to be going to that. Okay. I got you. So, so I guess that's more our, our, this example that we're using uh, for Mm -hmm. this discussion is more of a outbound connection strategy, even though it's on LinkedIn, you're kind of making the initial contact. So it's really more outbound to try to make some kind of relationship happen. How do you use LinkedIn um, to uh, pull in some people let's say um, that are in this, let's say electrical manufacturing industry, let's just say that as an example, who would be buyers potentially for your product or service versus the first model we had was the outbound. Oh, the outbound. Yeah. So if you're, if you're looking at an inbound strategy, mm-hmm. then that's through content mm-hmm. um, and thought leadership. So um, a really well thought out content plan which doesn't need to be a long dossier of information. Mm-hmm. The key thing with that is to really understand who, whose attention you want to be grabbing 
understand what are their common frustrations what are their challenges mm-hmm. you know what are people asking of them on a daily basis mm-hmm. what's stopping them going home to their families when they want to what's stopping them taking uh, holidays when they need to you know try and get down into the emotional uh, sort of top level side of things and you write content videos articles posts that hit on those like how to get over those so the way what you are uh, in, in the language we use here in the u.s is what are the pain points um exactly yes what are the pain points for that particular industry in electrical manufacturing let's say and you got this particular service software well how do you uh, write content around addressing those pain points uh and hopefully that in turn leads to a um inbound so let's say you write an article you just say that mm-hmm. this that this you know with the pain points and then the software helps to meet this you know help you meet this pain point you know let's talk about a demo let's talk about your your need maybe we can help so where do you take that content what do you do with it so the article is written right yep. you have it and it is, you address the pain point where does it go how do you get that out to the people to get them into you so the article will sit on your LinkedIn personal profile. Okay. So as a, if you're uh, writing that as a sales representative within a company, mm-hmm. then uh, the marketing team can then link back to that article um, on their company website, on the company social media, on the company LinkedIn page. Mm-hmm. That individual can also use the content within that article in a series of posts that they're just sort of posting out on a regular basis. On their um, profile. On their profile. Okay. The key thing as well is that you need, in order to get more visibility on your articles and your content, you need people to be having a look at who you are on your profile. Mm-hmm. And the way you do that is through regular engagement, which is either posting, co- posting uh, like status updates yourself or mm-hmm. by commenting and engaging with other people. So you have to be more active on, um, do, yeah. on if the you platform. want to use LinkedIn as an inbound strategy, you do need to be more active. Yes. So your profile needs to be a really strong representation, mm-hmm. not of you because nobody cares about you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it needs to really call out to the person and the people that you most want to be having those conversations with. It needs to give them a really good reason why they should contact you. And it should also give them information that they can read to give them the background about you, what it is that you offer, and how you can solve those pain points. Gotcha. Okay, so um, so one strategy, the outbounds, just to kind of recap, is to connect to people that you want to connect with, and hopefully there's some kind of first, second degree, third degree connection that you have with that person through another connection. They do an intro, and then hopefully you can start that relationship about what you guys do. Um, yeah. You provide an article link or something. The second yeah. part is the inbound strategy where you're writing content, putting that on your LinkedIn page um, as updates. You also commenting, commenting in other areas and other places on LinkedIn. Hopefully, and again, that draws people back to your profile um, that has that stuff, that content. Yeah. You also put it on your LinkedIn company page if you're a sales rep, to say. Um, and uh, also somehow link that to you and then kind of makes you your name come up more often, I guess, on different things on LinkedIn. Yeah. I mean, sales teams always love this when I do training because I always say to the marketing department or the CEO or the head of department that mm-hmm. your sales team are actually one of your biggest assets. Mm-hmm. And um, in terms of driving employee advocacy, 
your prospects and your customers are more likely to engage in content that's been produced by the sales rep individually than it is from the marketing team. Mm, so the marketing team does the content and then the sales rep promotes it. Uh, yes, as long as, <laughs> All right. as long as the sales rep actually uh, buys into that content and it's something that they've, um, I think it's, it's one of those, it's a habit that you get into. And I think more sales reps need to take more ownership on mm -hmm. creating content. It shouldn't just have to come from marketing, especially in a B2B, because it's your sales reps that are on the ground. They're sales reps that are talking to customers every day. Um, and mm -hmm. what people, again, in B2B, it's still person to person. It's still human to human. And we need to humanize the sales and marketing relationship. So telling stories based on um based on what's happened on a day-to-day -day, if you have a conversation with a prospect who asks you a question um that you get all of the time use that as uh, inspiration for a post or a bit of content mm -hmm. you know one of my most uh, popular articles that i wrote on linkedin was the difference between accuracy and precision in surveying mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And those two, a lot of people didn't understand the difference between those two, but they didn't ever want to admit it because it would make them look stupid, which <laughs> is, is ridiculous because it's such a common question. <laughs> yeah, confident yeah, so that's it's another way of like helping again humanize it helping people understand um how the things that you're selling really benefits them on a on a basic level um like really like when i say dumb it down i don't mean dumb it down to like ridiculous levels but dumb it down so that people when they're just scrolling can understand it easily i got you and, and that's and good don't overwhelm people with like you know if you're gonna if you've got a a, a a product that has 10 different features write an article or write a post about one feature in turn don't go full in with everything all at once so as you're no, it's good good that's good as you're running around in these circles um, and trying to obviously help uh, help companies um, develop their b2b LinkedIn strategy and how to you know prospect and based upon I guess what industry vertical they're in and I guess to, to come up with the strategy to do that. Um, have you come across any tools that um, you have either tried or looked at demoed um, that uh, makes the LinkedIn prospecting um, easier, more efficient to identify the people, if you will. Um, and uh, can you go into that if you know of some that you've tried or, and then secondarily, the the benefits of doing um a premium service sales navigator you know things like that so like for our organization obviously we we do stuff at scale um uh so you know we look we like to look at data and software that pulls in everybody and say this is the this is the market you know we have 300 500 companies with these guys with these titles and these are the people that we want to go after because they meet our profile based on revenue technology software industry employees now mm -hmm. do they really need us we don't know that yet <laughs> but but we we're identifying the who the basket and then yeah. we decide on the strategy to go after them so i guess so technology tools and uh and linkedin uh premium services yeah so um if, you, if you're involved in prospecting and that is your job 
then LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a fantastic resource because you get um, really advanced filters. Um, you can very much specify uh, company size, uh, seniority, um, loads of very, very specific things that you can't do in the basic version of LinkedIn. Uh, what actually I found is that the majority of people that use LinkedIn Sales Navigator don't actually, t- they don't touch on any of these extra features. So um, if you're using LinkedIn Sales Navigator, you need to make sure that you know like how to get the most out of it. Mm-hmm. The other thing you can do is you can create lists. So um, if you're targeting a particular market vertical or a certain segment of the industry, you can create lists of people so you can see their their posts and then you can then go and comment on those posts to engage. In, it's like an indirect way of engaging with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I love about LinkedIn is that, you know, from a sales point of view, you've got two different routes. You've got a direct route to the sale and you've got a direct route to following up with people and contacting them. But you've also got an indirect way through engagement, through liking, through posting, because, you know, it's, it's the prospect's choice whether they engage with you. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, sure. um, so, yeah, so LinkedIn Sales Navigator is great. The, the, the one thing to bear in mind with LinkedIn that from a scaling point of view, if you're looking at scale, an outbound messaging strategy, in my experience, is not the most effective long-term strategy. Okay. Because the more, the more connections you have on your personal network does not necessarily mean the more sales you're going to get. Even if it does mean that you say you get five sales in every 200 connections and you're connecting with thousands and thousands of people, at some point, you're going to reach your limit, which LinkedIn, it's 30,000 connections. And What's the limit? I'm sorry. 30,000. 30,000? 30, okay, I'm 30, near, near yeah. that. How many, how, many, how many you got? I've got about seven, I think. Thousand? Seven thousand, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm, I'm like, like 25 or something like that. Um, yeah, but the, the challenge is if you want to pivot. So if you want to change industries at any point, if you want to uh, go and do something slightly different then you actually, you've actually got uh, the wrong people in your network. Mm-hmm. So LinkedIn, from a personal point of view, is a really effective networking tool. Mm-hmm. However, from a prospecting point of view, it's a great research tool. Mm-hmm. So you can find the exact name, job title, and location of the people that you want to send to. So you can start to build your own databases to send out you know, direct mail campaigns, uh, like I'm not a fan of cold email campaigns, but if you choose to do that, you can do that. Um, and it, it just gives you so much more insights and intel as to the individuals that you want to reach. Um, and I think, I always think it's that like kind of, especially for smaller companies, it's understand how many sales can you actually handle at any one point? Mm-hmm. And before embarking on a massive lead gen strategy, understand how many sales can you make at any one point? How many clients can you actively serve at any one point? And do you really need to have all of those leads at any one point? Yeah, no, that's true. Um, uh, I think that many companies don't think about that. Um, and uh, can they actually close those leads? That's a whole other issue. Um, you know, they bring them in, but then they can't close them. Um, yeah, and I get I get this all the time with people. So a lot of my clients will come to me and they'll say, I built up this network of 13,000 connections and I'm not getting any business from them. Yeah. Um, and it's like, unless you're, unless the content that you're putting out is relevant to the people in your network and actually something that they want to read, consume, engage with, then you're just going to be wasting your time and you've got the wrong people in your network. Mm. 
there is no point in having a large network full of people unless you are engaging with them. Right. So yeah, obviously, hopefully they'll turn into to uh, to business, and that seems to be again that one-on-one strategy. Um, yeah. With with. Uh, yeah, so, so with tools that you were saying as well. I mean, when um, back when I was, it was all about scale, and I came across some automated tools that helped you send connection requests and automate the whole process. So you defined who you wanted to connect with, who you wanted to send messages with, and you automated the whole process. Um, and you know, I, I was very good at writing content at that point. So I thought, you know what, there's no harm in doing it. Um, but you know what, actually, uh, even though I think because the content I wrote wasn't too bad, I didn't take too much of a hit in terms of a reputation, but I see very senior people in the industry, um, like ruin their reputation by sending spammy messages through automation mm-hmm. because the search engine on LinkedIn is nowhere near as advanced as we're used to on Google, for example. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm thinking, so that's why, yeah. No, yeah. What I, what I was thinking was um, tools around pulling data off of LinkedIn. Um, yeah. See, yeah. Link, link, LinkedIn sales navigator is, is the yeah. one to go for because, The reason for that is that external tools are they're in violation of LinkedIn's terms and conditions. Okay. So things like um, Linked Helper, Duck Soup, uh, Meet Leonard, which was a short-lived program a while ago. Um, What are the other ones? Uh, I think Duck Soup was a big one at the moment. Sales Bath. Um, There's quite a few others. So when you use those, when you use those, you run the risk of LinkedIn actually locking you out of your account. Yeah, I didn't know about any of those. Um, there's, uh, there are, um, there are um, tools that pull from databases, uh, and they pull from readily publicly available databases. You know, five or six, seven that pull from Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram. They pull from B two B. Let's say Hoover's. They pull from um, Info. Yeah. They pull all this. Com- so basically, they're data consolidator, right? So they pull all this mm. information. Uh, and they've gotten really good at um, identifying criteria so that you can pull that information. And then if they have a LinkedIn profile, it'll pull that too. Uh, and um, so you get all this, these data tools that kind of pull that data in and then you can play with it. It comes out of the tool in an Excel spreadsheet. Let's say you can upload it into your CRM or you yeah. can email from the platform. Um, I think those tools are not uh, in violation of LinkedIn. It's more of they are doing searches and they're pulling the data off of all these readily available searches. And Google and Yahoo and Bing and, and, and um, mm. DuckDuckGo, DuckDuckGoGo, whatever, they're pulling everything off and they're kind of consolidating that information. Um, well, so- LinkedIn changed how they display your information okay. uh, a few months ago. So you mm. used to be able to pull email addresses off LinkedIn very easily. Um, I yeah, think they the key that away. There is that a lot of people, especially in a B2B, they will use their personal email addresses as their main email address for their LinkedIn account, which actually is a very, very good strategy because I know people that have used their business account, left the company, and then not been able to recover their account afterwards. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's interesting because um, we, I have a certain philosophy, we have a philosophy here that personally I prefer to have a business email um, because the ones that are associated to LinkedIn many times are like a yahoo.com kind of, they don't check it very often until they're out of work. 
then they're yeah. checking they're checking their LinkedIn, right? Um, but but uh, we like the B two B one um, that be, of the company because when they do leave, they're still getting that email redirected to somebody else. So mm -hmm. you know that that's kind of uh, that's our strategy, the way we prefer um, yeah. to have a, a business um, email. And you know um, there there's pros and cons, you know, about the LinkedIn, uh, you know, the B2B outreach strategy from our perspective that um, some many times people that you want to go after, let's say at the high, high level, um, Charlie, mm -hmm. let's say the CEO of a $500 million company, he may have a, a profile on LinkedIn, but he's not there. Okay. So, you know, he's there in the sense of, you know, title and name, and he may have 500 connections or may you know that, that show anyway, um, mm -hmm. that, but he may not really be there. So there's, there's kind of like this, I don't know what the number is, Charlie, yet, but there's certain, uh, I'm sure somebody's going to get to it. When you get to a certain size company, they're probably not going to be there. I don't know what that number is. Um, so, yeah, and I think that's all down to that. Who who are you targeting in the first place? Right, um, right. And yeah. doing, you know, so when you're running uh, prospecting batches um, yeah, or yeah. you're segmenting your audience, right. make sure you are segmenting it depending on like company size, yeah. individual, because yeah, you're, you're exactly right. You know, the CEO is not going to be interested in your prospecting email trying to sell some software. They'll employ somebody else to do all of that reviewing. Right. Yes, they may sign the check. Mm -hmm but they're not going to be the person that you actually want to be engaging with. And I think that a lot of people make the mistake that they just go straight for the decision maker mm -hmm. with the message that actually should go to the end user. Right. And again, exactly. And they have to figure out like, for example, for us, if we're talking about a sales outsourcing strategy, contract sales strategy um, to let's say um, expand into a marketplace to sell a particular new product or service offering that they have, that's mm -hmm. really um, a, a strategy. I mean, that's so that kind of decision making, not that a CEO would not be involved in it, but it's, it is so, somewhat strategic. So, mm -hmm. you know, okay, so it may say, you know what, this sounds interesting and, and I'd like to look at this, but I'm not the guy to talk to about it, you know, but, but I, I think that we should investigate it more. Speak to my COO or let's say VP of marketing or, or C, uh, chief yeah. sales officer. Um, uh, and uh, but the strategy is 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 high is high enough of an importance that the the the, the executive management say you know what we we need to look at this and try it in a market or two we may want to roll it out in five markets you know yeah. versus selling a piece of software that's a hundred grand you know, yeah. you know that, which is a one off kind of deal versus us so I guess it depends. On, it is. It, it does. It completely depends right. on what it is that you're selling, who you're selling to, how many right. people are involved in the buying process, what right. is the sales cycle. You know. Right. And again, yeah, and like a leadership training, you're gonna yeah. work, you want to work with the executive team on how to work better together and how to how to meet goals and expectations and better communication. You got to go to the C-suite for that because now you're talking yeah. about the executive leadership team. You know, so yeah. it, it depends. You know what it is, but. Uh, I'd like to go to the, to the lightning round um, questions with you. Uh, I, I think that we got a lot covered today uh, and, uh, and for the audience. And we're interviewing uh, Charlie Wyman. That's Wyman. Uh, Charlie <laughs> Wyman. Wyman.com. Um, yeah. A B2B LinkedIn uh, specialist and helps to help companies develop their strategies around B2B prospecting, biz dev on, on LinkedIn, obviously. Uh, what we do here is, um, is sales and marketing and biz dev, and um, we're in we're on LinkedIn and we're doing things there, and our clients are on LinkedIn. So 
hopefully this was a value uh, to you. For those who are listening to the podcast, um, please five star uh, this this show and and share it with your friends. And we're on iTunes and we're on Stitcher. Uh, make sure you share and and uh, and share the um, recommend the show uh, to others. So um, I know that um, that Brits have uh, what I call dry humor, um, and us us Americans here are a little bit more liberal. Uh, and I use the term liberal in the sense of uh, comedy, not in a political affiliation. <laughs> Right, so so so, uh, so the Brits are more have more dry, sarcastic humor. Is that is that accurate? Oh, very much so. Um, I grew up with um, you know watching old uh, comedy programs, so I do have <laughs> yeah older comedy programs. They're like you know Blackadder, uh, Only Fools and Horses. You know, sort of like very yeah very dry, um, but comical like I love that sort of humor but a lot of my friends that I went to school with and um, they grew up on more sort of American comedies American sitcoms and things like that so I think there's uh, especially younger generations there's not so much of a difference but I think yeah um we do as Brits do have a reputation of being a bit more sarcastic uh uh yeah we have a, yeah, so you have to watch you have to watch it you have to watch how you talk to the Brits and how they may respond because they may say something sarcastically humorous and we may not catch it so yeah, exactly. <laughs> where us, the Americans, will say something humor and funny, and they'll be like, "It'll be more obvious." Um, yeah. I, I, I guess you know you'll make us work for this. Um, so anyway, uh, so um, you like uh, coffee or tea? Uh, both. Um, I am a I'm a big tea drinker. As you can see, I've like been drinking my tea today. Um, I, I like a tea first thing in the morning, but yeah, coffee throughout the day. I'm, I'm a big coffee fan. So. How cold? Hot. Okay. <laughs> hot coffee and hot tea. Gotcha. Um, so do, do you have um, uh, hot dogs over there? We do. We call them sausage rolls. Uh, well, we, sausage rolls are kind of like generally hot dogs, but covered in pastry. Uh, we do have hot dogs, um, but I think I'm probably more of a burger, burger girl than a hot dog girl. I got you. You like all that messed up stuff all, all pressed together. You don't know what it is. So, it's, uh, so the hot dog, is it ketchup or mustard? Ketchup. Ketchup, all right, that's traditional. Well, actually, yeah. ketchup is natural. Mustard is more American traditional. Maybe it's ketchup over there. Um, is it ketchup over there? I think it's more ketchup, but yeah, it depends <laughs> on the person. All right, and burgers, ketchup or, or mustard? For me, I'm not a big mustard fan, so yeah, ketchup all the way ketchup for me. again. How about pizza? You like pizza? I love pizza. Oh, I used to live in Italy um, when I was oh. 20, uh, so yeah, pizza, big pizza fan. Oh, okay. Android or, or, or Apple? Apple. So you're not uh, an Apple user. Gotcha. So this answer should be easy. PC or Mac? Mac. <laughs> okay. Laptop or desktop? Both. Oh, okay. Um, so if you can go anywhere on vacation and money and time was not an issue, where would you go? Uh, anywhere in a, a mountainous region with no internet and very tall mountains. Uh, okay. So mountain probably means colder weather. Uh, cold. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Generally, mountains tend to be to be colder. So you like generally colder weather, I suppose. Uh, no, I love hot weather, but I love. I, I think hiking, trekking up a mountain in the cold is much easier than trekking up a mountain in the hot weather. Gotcha. And the solitude in the mountains is kind of like what's getting you when you're disconnected and unplugged, right? Um, exactly. So wristwatch, yes or no? Yes. Do you wear a wristwatch? I do. I haven't got one on right now. Okay. Um, that's all right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Most people are people not wearing watches. They're using their phones. 
um, as watches. So, uh, so for books, uh, Kindle, paperback, or hardcover? All three. <laughs> ah, okay. So you like the digital part? You like to you like to, the the paper as well? Yeah. So if it's a nonfiction book, I love to scribble in my books. So yeah, I I love a paperback. Um, I also I listen to books. So I've got Audible. I have hardback, paperback, and have a Kindle too. So yeah. ah, okay. So this will be a good segue to the next question: Podcast. Do you like podcasts? And if so, when do you listen? When you're driving, commuting, exercising? What, what, what do you, when do you listen? Uh, never when I'm exercising. I don't like podcasts when I'm exercising. Um, I listen to podcasts when I'm driving and also when I walk the dog at lunchtime. Interesting. Okay. Uh, new car or used car? Used car. Okay, good. Uh, dogs, cats, neither, or goldfish? <laughs> I have an English bulldog, so dogs. Ah, English bulldog. Gotcha. Oh, that's the one with the, that makes a lot of mess with the, with the, the, the when they when they, they shake their head and they throw saliva every place. Is that the uh, one? Yeah, ours, ours is okay, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not so much. All right. So, uh, movies in the theater or streaming? Uh, theater. Theater. Ah, okay. The, the theater. Gotcha. Yeah, theater. Yes. The theater. <laughs> well, well, listen. It's been great interviewing you. Thank you for your time uh, today. I love the chatting with you about uh, B2B LinkedIn prospecting and biz dev and I'm getting to know you a bit and um, good luck with the business. You can reach out to her at charliewyman.com uh, and uh, hopefully we'll, we'll chat soon. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Great to see you.